Going to have to bring the energy this morning, folks. Uh, hey, this is week three of Advent, as we've said each week. Um, we've been highlighting a different ministry that um, we are asking folks here to um, support financially uh, at Christmas, maybe by diverting some of your Christmas uh, spending towards some eternal things um, in our community and in other parts of uh, the world around us as well. So last couple of weeks, we've heard about the Global Orphan Project, and we have an opportunity to sponsor them in providing uniforms for students um, in Haiti so they can go to school. Um, last week, we heard about Young Life and the impact that camp has made on a lot of us and a lot of kids that are hoping to go this summer as well. Um, this week, we're going to hear about uh, stuff going on right here in our neighborhood through a ministry called Food for Kids, and then also some of the work we do uh, at Edison Elementary. And the lady that's going to come and share with us today, um, her name is Amy Teschner. She is um, a part of our, we have a kind of a, uh, an advisory group for our neighborhood ministry. She's a part of that here and has really um, dove in to stuff in our neighborhood um, with kids. And you'll find her often uh, a van full of neighborhood children traipsing around all parts of St. Joe. So we're really excited about what she's going to share with you, some of the stories of the ways that this, uh, just being involved with kids here has impacted her and how we can help. So Amy, come on up. Let's give her a round of applause. They should put more seat belts in vans, that's for sure, because I never have enough seat belts. Um, Food for Kids, if you're not familiar with that, is um, just a few blocks down um, around 16th and Angelique, I believe. And um, a couple named Sheila and Kenzie Gilbert started Food for Kids, I think, eight years ago. And Wellspring joined in right off the bat, I believe. I wasn't around back then. Um, And they were a couple, are a couple, that um, just saw some needs in the community and Um, Some kids that just needed a friend and a sandwich, and um, the sandwiches multiplied and the kids multiplied, and so here we are today. Um, They serve 150 lunches every day, um, Monday through Friday, all summer. So from the last day of school, then the next Monday, um, they start serving lunches um, every day until school starts in August. So you can imagine, I've done the math before, I think it's like 9,000 lunches, but I'd have to do that again. Um, Anyway, so Wellspring provides um, some funds for some of the lunches. I think it equals one full day. Um, That's the chips, the all the sandwich stuff. They have fruit cups and Rice Krispie Treats, granola bars, all kinds of things. Um, And so Wellspring... um, Well, let me back up. So when I started coming to church here, I kind of heard about it, and I thought, well, that would be a good way to meet people. And if you know me, I like to meet people and make friends and get involved. And so I thought that would be one way to do it. So Barb Luritzen, I don't know if she's here today, um, I met her and um, started coming on Thursday mornings to sack lunches. Um, Just, you know, there was three or four of us, April Bruder and Jenny Howitt. And anyway, so we would meet and just, you know, chat and fellowship and Sack up the lunches, then we'd take them down to where Food for Kids is and drop them off, and then they'd be ready for Friday's lunch. So then I was going on Fridays, and, you know, I thought I would just do it once in a while, just kind of show up and do my thing and leave. And it wasn't too long that I realized I was going every single Friday and loving it and loving the kids and getting to know them. And at first, when you have all these kids around and you're trying to remember everybody's name and blah, 
Um, so I just keep asking every week, what's your name, what's your name, what's your name, what's your name? And I still do it, but um, anyway, they, the kids that are there start to, well, it doesn't take long, remember you. And why weren't you here last week? And where are your kids? How come they're not here? How come they're not here? And um, so you realize the impact um, that you have on these kids. I just think it's, you know, here's a lunch and go on um, at first, but um, really a lot of friendships have been formed. So eventually um, that's how my van got full um, because they don't want you to leave unless you take them with you. <laughs> and so, um, I mean, we've done everything. We've gone to eat afterwards. We've gone school shopping. We've, I mean, whatever, lots of stuff. Um, but the kids there get more than just a lunch. They get the friendships, the relationships, um, love that they might not feel elsewhere. Um, somebody just putting their arm around them saying, Hey, how was your week? What's been going on? Everything. Okay. You look kind of sad today. You know, what's, what's, what's bothering you? Um, so anyway, um, food for kids has just been a huge part of our family, um, bigger than I ever expected because the first year I kind of had to take my kids and go, we're going and which isn't real fun for anybody, you know, plaster a smile on your face and you're going to stand there and you're going to have fun. So that was the first summer this summer well, my daughter, she's, she's usually pretty good about going, but, um, my son who isn't here today, so I can talk about him. <laughs> And not be in trouble. Um, so the first summer, I really had to grab him and pull him along, and he'd come, and he wouldn't, and everybody wanted to know where he was. So this last summer, um, I would be at work, and he would call me and say, Hey, Mom, I'm going to go to the food for kids today. So-and-so is going to pick me up. And that just meant he has no idea what that does to me. And so, you know, I'd be like, Okay. Yay, you know, okay, just make sure you're really good and make sure you, you know, all that stuff. Um, so not, it's not just affecting those kids. It's affecting everybody that helps. And if you haven't had a chance, you know, you don't have to go every week, but just going down there once in a while just to see what goes on and see how your heart can be changed and um, just what goes on outside the four walls of your house or your job or your family um, is quite eye-opening. Um, a lot of those kids, that's their summer. Um, Sheila and Kinsey get there, I don't know, five thirty, six in the morning when it's cool and dark to start setting up their tents and, um, chairs and whatever is going on that day. Um, and the kids are there too. Not all of them, but, um, they'll show up because they know that they'll get attention and love and conversation and whatever. So, um, you know, if food for kids just disappeared tomorrow, you'd have to realize how many lives that affects. Um, just because they hang out there from early in the morning till they close down around one o'clock and then they go to Sam's house or wherever else, you know, they can go for the afternoon. Um, a lot of high school and college kids have been involved. Um, same thing. They take them places. They, um, hang out with them. They take them swimming, take them to eat. I don't know what all they do. Um, but I know it's fun for everybody. Again, I'm sure the high school and college kids are impacted more than, um, that they 
set, thought that they would be, you know, when they set out to volunteer. So a lot of those kids also um, have been involved in the um, Edison basketball. And I know you guys have heard a lot about that. I think that's been going on for about five years now. Um, the same thing. Relationships are built. Um, these kids feel loved. Oh, somebody cares. Somebody's coaching me. Somebody's helping me. Somebody's picking me up for practice, taking me to games, um, encouraging me, telling me that I can do it, that I'm good. You know, things that a lot of us, I think, take for granted um, in, in a normal setting. Um, again, those kids just, they get to go into people's homes, be a part of families that family lives that they wouldn't, um, get to otherwise. Um, as far as the Advent conspiracy goes, um, with basketball, you can imagine if you have, I think it's three grades and I can't remember how many teams or kids are involved, but quite a few now, um, you have all those kids to provide uniforms for, um, you're not just going to send home an order form and say, you know, here's the money we need for tournament fees and uniforms and whatever. Um, so that's where Wellspring comes in um, to help those kids um, get that opportunity and to um, be a part of a team sport and be coached by someone who loves and cares about them. So when you're um, filling out those, are there postcards for yeah, in the envelopes, yeah, in the back. Um, you know, you might just think about food for kids and basketball and just the lives that are um, forever changed. Because when these kids grow up, they're not going to forget about these experiences. Um, they're going to come back. Hopefully, maybe they'll help coach a basketball team or they'll serve some lunches or um, somehow get involved in in serving others down the road. So... Um, Wellspring just plays a huge part, and I know you hear about it all the time, all the time, all the time, but this is the time of year um, to really give it another thought and think, how can I, you know, if I can't be there on Friday morning or if I can't help at Edison or if I can't coach a basketball team, how can I make a difference and help those who are serving? Um, Again, this is a third way that all the same kids are impacted, and that's at Edison Elementary. Um, Just Thursday night, um, Wellspring opened the doors of the church for their um, winter, I want to call it a Christmas program, but I know it's not, their winter music concert. Um, It was packed. They, people were everywhere. I got here in time to do the refreshments. I drove around I don't know how many times I drove around trying to find a spot and finally just parked blocks and blocks away. Um, So there was a great turnout for that. But again, um, just getting those people and families, I should say, in the church doors and just knowing that we care about them and that we're here for them and mingling with them, um, you know, as family down in the basement. Um, Just seeing kids that you've seen around and um, knowing that that this has an impact on them. Um, those kids have the opportunity this week at Edison, um, like Bob said, to work, or not work, but um, shop at the little gift shop there that they provide um, because they want to get gifts for their family too, but the means just probably aren't there, transportation to a store or whatever. Um, and so um, 
if you feel led to help out this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from 9 to 3, their little store is open um, an hour here or there. Um, it doesn't have to be staffed the whole time because I think people from the school are there as well. Um, but just to see those kids' faces light up that, oh, I get to pick this out for my mom or my dad or my brother or my sister and wrap it and take it home and stick it under the tree, um, you know, just is going to mean, again, more than, more than we realize. So um, I guess the question is, if Wellspring wasn't here, what would those um, events look like if we didn't provide for food for kids? There would at least be one entire day that no meals were served. A lot of volunteers would not be there. Um, I mean, our church kind of says that we do Friday, but I know for a fact they're there all five days. Somebody is at some point. Um, And so our um, goal is really just to be um, an irresistible influence to these kids and to our city and to our neighborhood. So um, if you have any questions about any of those, um, I would be happy to talk to you or get you to the right person um, to answer any questions. But I just hope that you'll be prayerful um, in considering giving to one or more of those um, opportunities. Thank you. Cool. One of the, the great things, um, just my own involvement with Edison, I, we, um, several years ago we started mentoring some students there. And um, so I started meeting with this little boy um, when he was in second grade. Um, his name was Joseph DeMarcus. And um, I went every week and <clears throat> met with Joe um, from second grade to sixth grade. Um, so that's a lot of a lot of weeks and a lot of time of developing a relationship with him. And I was excited because I coached cross-country at Central. And I thought, I'm going to make this kid a runner, and then we'll be buddies forever. And then he moved, um, and it was such a bummer. Um, so he moved to North Platte, like when middle school started, so I didn't see him for a couple of years. And then um, this past uh, season with cross-country, we were at some meets, Smithville and Platte County, and he runs for North Platte, and they were there. And he's like, hey, Bob. And I'm like, I mean, of course, he's much taller now. And I'm like, Joe? And so it was just really cool because I know for at least for the next three years in the fall, I'm going to get to see him at some of these different uh, meets. And so it was a great way to reconnect with him. And just you just never know when you develop relationships with folks um, how God's going to bring those people back around and give you an opportunity to continue to connect with them. So... Um, So as we dive in this morning to uh, my Advent message, I just want to give you just an overall overarching thing just to keep in mind is that I really try to write my messages always with um, inclusive language. And what that means is that I always try to use the words we and our and us. I rarely ever say you. And the reason why is because I really feel like I am a, a fellow participant with you. I'm on this journey um, and so the questions that I'm asking us, um, I'm asking myself, and the ways in which I'm trying to challenge you guys, I'm trying to challenge myself as well. And so as we go throughout these things, uh, just, just to keep that in mind is that I, I never try to see myself as somebody who has it together and knows more or whatever. I'm just, man, we're equally trying to figure some of this stuff out, and I'm, I'm trying to ask myself and wrestle with some of the same questions. So 
I don't know if you guys have ever read the message version of the Bible, but it has a unique way of putting things sometimes in kind of our common language. And I want to share from uh, John 3.19. This is something that Jesus said in the message. It says like this. This is the crisis we're in. God light streamed into the world, but men and women everywhere ran for darkness. They went for the darkness because they were not really interested in pleasing God. So that was Jesus' commentary on all of humanity. And that's true of all of us as well. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in a sermon that he gave on um, November 19th of 1933, he said this. He says, we have something to hide. We have secrets, worries, thoughts, hopes, desires, passions, which no one else gets to know. We are sensitive when people get near those domains with their questions. And now, against all rules of tact, the Bible speaks of the truth that in the end we will appear before Christ with everything we are and were. And we all know that we could justify ourselves before any human court but not before this one. Lord, who can justify themselves? Man, doesn't that hit close to home? <laughs> I read that, that phrase that we are sensitive when people get near those domains with their questions. You know, those places where we're just like, man, I, just, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to share that with you. On August 5th, 2010, so over five years ago, 33 miners... Uh, not miners with an O, miners with an E, with the lights on their helmets, those miners. They were trapped 20 stories underground uh, because this mine had collapsed in Chile. Maybe you've, maybe you've seen the movie, The 33. Anybody go see that? All right. Bob tries to be culturally relevant and nobody goes to movies anymore. So if you haven't, well, let me tell you a little bit about the story, okay? So... These guys are underground, the mine starts collapsing, there's two groups of guys in there and they actually both find their way to this room called the refuge, I think it's kind of, uh, you know, it's got some steel beams and some things to kind of uh, withstand something like that. And so they all get there, there's 33 of them, they have three days worth of food and drink to survive. It is 90, then the mid 90s degrees underground. Uh, in this place. And so it's hot. So you can imagine the issues of dehydration. <clears throat> there are supposed to be these emergency ladders to evacuate, and the company only built them up halfway, and then they stopped making them. So one of the first scenes is them climbing up and then getting to the end of it and thinking, all right. So literally, they realize that they, it's hopeless. I mean, there, there is no way out. All the tunnels are blocked off. There's no, like, we just got to come up with the right brilliant idea. You know, there's no MacGyver or Magruder down there underneath that's going to save them. It's just hopeless. And they were completely dependent on the motivation and the ability of others to rescue them. Completely dependent. And the track record was not good. They're talking about you know, how many times have things like this happened and somebody's been rescued and they can't think of an example, okay? So usually when this happens, it's over and done. And usually people try for about three days or so and then they just kind of call it off. So what does this cheerful introduction this morning have to do with Advent? Well, I've been thinking a lot um, during this Advent season about this question. 
What are we supposed to think and feel at Christmas? What are we supposed to think and feel at Christmas? What emotions should the birth of his Savior elicit in our hearts? What should that do to us? Because I feel like the power of the incarnation of God becoming flesh can get pretty lost in our celebration, or at least the way we go about it. And some of the events and the, the details of the story of, of Jesus can kind of just get all kind of sterile. We can kind of become numb to it. We've heard it so many times, right? The baby in the manger and the shepherds and the angels singing. And, and then we look at our celebration and, you know, the Christmas carols and the gifts and blah, blah, blah. And one year kind of bleeds into the next and it all kind of seems the same. But what does it all really mean And more importantly, are we moved by any of it? Does it move us? I've celebrated Christmas as a Christian now for about 30 years. And I can share with you that my emotions surrounding the event have just been all over the map. There's probably years where I felt closer to Jesus and years where I just kind of went through the motions and it didn't really do much to me at all. But in recent years, I've come to this conclusion. I want to put this up on the screen. The gift of a Savior means nothing if we aren't continually in touch with how desperate our situation is. The gift of a Savior means nothing if we aren't continually in touch with how desperate our situation is. And putting ourselves in touch with how desperate our situation is is, is kind of work. <laughs> we have to work at reminding ourselves of that sometimes. When Paul wrote in Romans, he was trying to explain the gospel to the, the people in, in Rome. And he wrote this in Romans 5.10. He says, for if when we were God's enemies. And you read that and you kind of go, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm, I'm God's enemy? Yeah, all of us, all of us are born that way. And another, another part of, of the book of Romans, Paul says this, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. And he goes on to make the point that no amount of good deeds can save us. Our parents' faith can't save us. Our church attendance can't save us. The money we put in the offering box or don't put in there can't save us. Getting baptized or not getting baptized can't save us. We were all in the same boat, lost and separated from God, every last one of us. We're kind of like those miners trapped in this cave of darkness with absolutely no way of of escape, completely at the will of someone else to do something about our condition. And in the movie, The 33... They made that three days supply of food and water last 14 days (laughs) through really shrewd rationing, like literally like a cup of goo (laughs) about like this that they tried to slurp down and some canned something mixed in with a little of water. They kind of rigged up a way to kind of try to distill. But you can imagine just the toll that that took on them, 90 degree heat, day after day, hardly any anything in their bellies. And on that evening that the food ran out, they had what they thought was going to be like their last supper. They thought that it was over. 
So three days later, so day 17, they were weak and disillusioned and barely coherent. And the sound of drilling started to kind of bring them to life, kind of perk them up a little bit. And in that moment, their, their weary heads lifted up to, to the source of their rescue. This drill was burrowing down into their, dank, their dark and, 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 and lifeless tomb. Exactly. <clears throat> in Luke 21, 28, Wyatt read this earlier, it says this, Jesus said, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Your redemption is drawing near into our hopeless lives. Enemies of God, lovers of darkness, hearts and minds shrouded in secrets and shame, God burst in humbly and softly. And in order to see him in the manger, you had to seek him out or you might miss him. And a lot of people missed him that night in Bethlehem. The angel said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Is that what Christmas is to us? Is it great joy? Does it stir our hearts at all? Have we lost sight of how far God came to save us. One of the things I loved about the movie was the, the portrayal of the desperateness of the rescuers. So the rescuers arrive on the scene and they're kind of assessing the situation. And the families had gathered at the fence on the night that they got word of what had happened. And so it kind of become a national spectacle, this Oprah-type guy in Chile shows up, and he's doing these stories and interviewing the families. And so the government's kind of on the hook now to, to figure out a way to rescue these folks. And so they bring in the Ministry of Miner, Mining, and they bring in these uh, companies, the drilling companies, to try to figure this out. But it's a, it's a bad situation. And um, the, the, the mountain is so fragile that they're afraid of you know, anything they do could just cause it all to, to collapse but over the course of time, once they break through, you know, in day 17, they, um, they send down cameras to them. And so they start being able to video one another and communicate. And so the rescuers are now um, talking with these folks. And now they're not just a list of 33 names on a piece of paper. That they're actual people that they're having relationships with and they're seeing. And, you know, sometimes they're assessing their medical condition or what kinds of things they need down there. Um, they're talking about, hey, we're going to have to do this, and you guys might have to, at one point they have to blow up these, these barriers so this drill can get through, and, and they become friends. And so the thought of just leaving them there to die is just unthinkable. And you can imagine it took them 17 days just to, to, to hit them and to, okay, we've discovered them. It took them 42 more days to get them out. <laughs> They'd never, like, extricated somebody from two 20 stories down, you know, two, over 2,000 feet, and it's a, just a very delicate thing. But the relationship that they developed them was, was just so powerful now. It's like we've got to figure out a way to do it. And in a similar way, our Heavenly Father 
even though we were his enemies because of our sinful nature, he was desperate to figure out a way not to leave us in darkness. He had created us. He knew everything about us. He knows our thoughts, uh, every word we say before we say him. He knows the number of hairs on our head. So at just the right time in history, God sent his son Jesus to enter into our darkness with his light to make a way for us to redeem us. And earlier in, in my message, I made the statement that those guys trapped in that cave were completely at the mercy of the motivation and the ability of their rescuers. Because most of the people would have just walked away at some point and just said, this is costing too much money. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. In a similar way, in our situation, we were completely at the mercy of God and his motivation and his ability to do something about our situation. And the great news for us is that we have a God who's really motivated because we're his children and he loves us more than anything. And we have a God who has the ability to do something about our sin condition, to forgive us and to heal us and to restore us as his children. So when we come to the manger this Christmas, can we take some time to sit in our sin a little bit? Can we take some time to kind of reflect on the desperateness of our situation apart from God? Because I fear if we don't, I think we lose the power and the wonder of the good news with great joy that God wanted all of us to experience. And I'm afraid that we'll lack the proper appreciation for the gravity of the gift that's been extended to us. And if the gift does move us, and if the, the, the sight of or the image of Jesus, you know, this fleshly form of God in the manger really does mean something to us, then what? Then what? Shouldn't it make us want to sing? I mean, shouldn't it make tears run down our face in just gratitude at the overwhelmingness of the goodness of that? Shouldn't we want to tell the whole world that the Redeemer has come that he's near. Open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. It's page 816 in your pew Bibles. <clears throat> Again, this is written by Paul. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 8. He's talking to the people there, and he could be talking to us. He says, For you were once darkness. Not you were, not you were in darkness, but you were once darkness. You were the embodiment of darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. 
and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And so this morning I say to you, wake up, O sleeper, lift up your heads, because the Redeemer is drawing near. Good news of great joy. A Savior is born to us. He is Christ the Lord. And I wanted to share a quick little story with you. When I, um, I didn't grow up going to church. And so when I got saved, I could see the starkness of the darkness of who I was. And the light at which I had become. What, what happened, what transpired when God saved me. There was a, a pretty big difference in, in who I was and how I operated and what I thought. And so it's been very interesting. Um, and, so I'm, and there was also just a lot of emotion that went with that in me. And so it's been interesting to raise children now who have only grown up knowing Jesus. God loves them. And, and really, for the most part, my kids had a desire to please him and to live for him. And so it's been a little bit of a, a battle, not really a battle, but just a challenge. I remember talking with my oldest child, my son, Zach, and, you know, as he became a, a middle schooler, and, and, I, and I, because, because my relationship with Christ is so emotional for me, you know, I, 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 could, I had to ask him, like, sometimes, like, does any of this move you? <laughs> when you sing these songs at church, when you hear the 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 good news about what Jesus has done, does it move you at all? Because until it starts affecting your hearts in some way, it's just going to be a little bit empty. And I, every, all of us have different experiences. And some of us come from very, you know, backgrounds where we can see the difference between who we were before Christ and who we became and how he broke in and saved us and changed us. And some of us have just kind of always grown up just kind of knowing that Jesus loves us and trying to be a great person. And, and that's the great thing about our condition <laughs> is that it's not based on how we live and the bad things that we do or don't do. All of us are born separated from God. It's a condition that we have. It isn't based on how we act. It's true of all of us. And so we, we are all on the same level. And so whether you've been a person that's done very, a few bad things or a lot of bad things, doesn't really matter. All of us are born in darkness. Our hearts are separated from him. Our natural intent and desire as human beings is to, is to want what we want when we want it, to be self-centered. And God burst in and, and changed our future and our destiny through his son, Jesus. And until we come to terms and reflect on how desperate our state is, the joy of Christmas is never gonna mean that much to us. And so my challenge to you is to to go back and get in touch with your desperate place. And if God hadn't broken in and hadn't sent Christ, 
how different our story might be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning I thank you, first of all, God, that you gave us free will, that you gave us the ability to choose to either be obedient or disobedient to you, to either love you or to not love you, to serve you or to not serve you. And and as David talks about in the Psalms, he says, surely I was sinful from birth. (laughs) From the moment that I took my first breath, I wanted what I wanted. And so, God, I just, we, we, we probably will never understand completely how desperate our state was. Because separation from you just seems like such a hard thing to, to grasp, especially eternal separation. But, God, it was, it's, a dire, it's a dire state that we're born into. And we have no hope of rescue in our own strength. There's nothing that we can do to to. to Take care of that situation. It's completely your initiative, your motivation, your ability to save us and redeem us. And so, God, for those of us here this morning that don't know you, God, I pray that that they would understand that that, that they're at the end of the rope. Apart from them humbling themselves and crying out for mercy from you, there is no rescue. But God, all we have to do is just turn to you and say, Father, I can't do it. I've run out of food supplies. The, the ladder to the escape route is, doesn't work anymore. I, I'm sitting here in this cave of my own darkness, and I need you. I need your light to burst through this, these walls and rescue me. And God, I pray that the the gravity, the weight of that would, would sit on us and that we would understand that. And we would just rejoice at the good news that we have a Savior who is willing to come, to put on flesh, to live our life so that he could in the flesh die for us. God, don't let our hearts grow cold and distant this winter, this Christmas season. Warm us up today. Wake us up, Father. Help us to understand how much we have to be grateful for We praise these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So all y'all, we're going to practice as we close this morning. We're going to sing, and we're going to sing loudly and with passion today, okay? It's not an option. I'm not asking you a question. I'm telling you what we're going to do, all right? So let's stand up and close this morning.